Well, this morning we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, and let me just review for a moment the primary way we're doing this. We're, there's three primary ways we're doing this. The first one is we're looking at what John calls signs. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about miracles. John never talks about miracles. He talks about signs. He talks about signs because he wants us to see that what Jesus is doing in a miraculous way is a sign that points to Jesus and reminds us who he is, that he is the living son of God. That's why he uses signs. Then the second thing we looked at are some key words. And uh, so far we've looked at uh, three of those words. And then the the third thing we look at is uh, seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this, this little phrase called, I am. So far we've looked at two. And this morning we're going to look at a third one of those I am's. Now let's remind ourselves that John's gospel, John's gospel is all about salvation and how it's dependent on having a real, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. Salvation is not about whether or not a person's been baptized. It's not about whether or not a person's been baptized by sprinkling. It's not about whether or not a person has been baptized by pouring. It's not about whether or not a person has been baptized by immersion. Baptism is one of those because I can't think of another word. Baptism is one of those interesting topics. Because under the umbrella of Christianity, there are churches that choose to do any of those three, including immersion, pouring, sprinkling, dipping, and immersion. And even though you and I may not agree with the way another Christian church has chosen to do baptism, they believe from the bottom of their heart that they're doing it the correct way. And as a pastor, I can tell you that, and and whether you figured out who I am after this last year or not, but uh, I enjoy getting together with other pastors and having those conversations. And I want you to explain to me why you believe this way. And I've had some... I had a pastor one time years ago. We were sitting having lunch together at Subway, and uh, uh, he's in a church that believes in baptizing newborns. And in the middle of that conversation, he said, Steve, you're doing it the right way. But he said, I can't go back and tell my church that. I'd be out of a job. Because they've been doing it that way for 200 years. But here's one of those interesting things that I've come to discover about baptism. So every church under this umbrella of Christianity thinks they've got it figured out as to the right and wrong ways of baptizing. And yet we have two major denominations in Christianity that never baptize anyone. Never. Now, it's interesting, because here we are as 
Baptists. Well, if you're in a Baptist church, you have to have something to do with baptism. That's where we got the word. But we have two major denominations that never baptize anyone. And uh, so here we are at Cross Point, and we think we've got it figured out. We really do. And yet there are these other churches under this umbrella. They think they've got it figured out as well. But John, in his gospel, wants us to understand that salvation is not all about these other things. It's not about which church you go to or which church you don't go to. It's not about which Bible translation you read from or which one you don't read from. It's not about how many times a day you pray or you don't pray. It's not about how much money you put in the offering or even if you never put money in the offering. It's about faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation alone. And so as we work our way through the gospel, we discover that Jesus... Well, Jesus spends a lot of time, you know where he's at? He's out there in the country, as opposed to being here downtown in Jerusalem. And so it makes sense that many of his parables, many of his stories are about, well, they're about planting crops. He's out there in the country talking to people who live in an agricultural climate. He's talking about planting crops. He's talking about the weeds and the wheat. He's talking about the different kinds of soil, and he's talking about the sheep and the goats. In our passage today from John chapter 10, if you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to John 10. Jesus talks about how we are his sheep, and he is the gate to the pasture where the sheep live. Now, John 10, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. John 10, 1 through 10. Are we there? Good. John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate. Now, let me stop, and I'm not going to stop every 10 words. But some of us have Bibles that don't say gate. Some of us have Bibles that say door. It's translated different ways. Verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You got it? They will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, something happens here in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus begins to, and the word I'm going to use, he begins to distance himself from the Pharisees. He wants the people to understand two things, that he's he's different from the Pharisees. Number one, he loves his sheep. Pharisees don't love anybody. He cares for his sheep. Pharisees don't care. And the second thing is, he's a good shepherd. The Pharisees, well, the Pharisees are bad shepherds, they're evil shepherds, 
as they were prophesied in Ezekiel 34. Now take your Bibles, keep one hand in John chapter 10, and then in your other hand, go to Ezekiel chapter 34. I can promise you this, that John chapter 10 is a lot easier to find than Ezekiel 34. It's somewhere there in the Old Testament, three quarters of the way to the end. And I can't even give you a page number because if we've got 50 people here, we've got 49 different Bibles. Ezekiel 34 is where these evil, bad shepherds are prophesied. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Remember? Okay, let's go back to John 10. Just stay with me in John 10. But back in John chapter 9 is the story of the man who was born blind. You remember the story. And who sinned, this man or his parents and Jesus says, this isn't about whether or not somebody sinned. This is about a way for me to bring forth the glory of God. The Pharisees want nothing to do with somebody who's following Jesus. It's, it's almost as though they're more interested in scattering sheep than they are in gathering sheep. And it continues to be more and more evident now when we get to John chapter 10. It's more and more evident that the Pharisees want less and less to do with Jesus. So in John chapter 10, when Jesus refers to him as the shepherd of the sheep, it drives the Pharisees crazy because they want the people to believe that they are the shepherds. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God shepherds his sheep through designated leaders. So you can either turn or just trust me as I read two verses out of the Psalms. Psalm 78, 70 to 72 refers to David as a shepherd. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David, and here's a new word, and David shepherded. It's one of the few places you'd ever find this word. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led the people. And then in Psalm 80, the first two verses, the psalmist speaks of God as a shepherd. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, Awaken your might, come and save us. So this analogy of God being our shepherd is talked about throughout all of Holy Scripture. And the Pharisees would have agreed with what the Old Testament said, or at least they would have wanted to give the impression to the people there in Israel. They wanted to impress the people 
And they wanted the people to believe that they believed everything in the Old Testament. But things are now beginning to change in this relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. And here's part of the problem. Here's part of the problem and why the Pharisees are getting so upset. You know, they understood. It was one thing when Jesus was out there in the wilderness talking and he had a few people following him there. And and nobody in Jerusalem really paid any attention to what Jesus was doing out there. But now he's in Jerusalem. Now they have to pay attention to what he's saying. And now when Jesus... Just try to put yourself in their, in their sandals. Now that Jesus is claiming to be the good shepherd, he's claiming to be the son of God, he's claiming to be the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for since the beginning of time, the Pharisees don't like it. And they don't like it at all. When Jesus claims to be the shepherd, he's claiming that he is now the Messiah of the people. He's the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for. And then Jesus tells this story that we have in John chapter 10. He tells this story about how he is the gate for the sheep. It's a story that almost anyone and everyone could relate to because almost every family in Israel at that time would have had one or two or a handful of sheep that they called their own. In first century Israel... Sheep at night would normally stay in what we call the sheep pen, right next to the family's house. Now this last week I read where there are commentators who believe that if there were a number of families that lived near each other, or perhaps even in a small village someplace, they would have, in many situations, a sort of a community sheep pen, where all the sheep from the village families would spend the night together in this community sheep pen. And then in the next morning, and you can picture this with me, in the next morning there would be a family member come from each family in the village to come and gather their sheep and take those sheep home. According to John 10.3, the person who stayed with the sheep at night was called the gatekeeper. And as he's paying attention the next morning, he would see that Gary's coming and he's going to get his family's sheep Scott would come, and he'd show up, and he'd get his sheep. But the question is, how do you pick which sheep are yours? Quite common that each family would have a homemade whistle. And if Gary makes a whistle, it's going to, I mean, he's going to make a whistle, and Scott's going to make a whistle, and John's going to make a whistle, and all those whistles are going to sound like a whistle, but they're all going to be different. And they might sound similar to you and me, but the sheep know the whistle. And so as you walk up, the gatekeeper opens the gate, and you blow your whistle, your two or three or four or five sheep would come out, pass through the gate, and they'd follow you home. A similar thing would happen when they're out there in the wilderness. There's a watering hole, and there's a half a dozen shepherds that would show up at the same time of day, and all these sheep would run for the water. Well, when it's time to leave, you blow your whistle, Your sheep follow you, or maybe it's just your voice. You know, you have a name for, sheep, come with me. Maybe you just say something like that, and they would recognize your voice. And only your sheep would follow you. Because sheep won't follow a stranger. Sheep will only follow their shepherd. They knew who their shepherd was, and this is what's interesting. They knew their shepherd just as well as the shepherd knew his sheep. 
So if you show up at the watering hole with 10 sheep, you know which 10 are yours. In the parable, you remember the parable in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, or some Bibles say the lost lamb. And, and the shepherd is there, and he has 100 sheep. And he gets done shepherding during the day, and he's putting them in this sheep pen, and oh, there's only 99. Now, it's beyond, you can't just say, well, there's one missing. It's not just there's one missing. He knows exactly which one is missing. And so when the shepherd goes out into the wilderness searching for, he's not just searching for a lost sheep. He's searching for his lost sheep. Those of us who grew up on a farm are different than those of us who grew up in a city. People who grow up in a city will drive by a flock of sheep and they all look the same. But if you're the farmer and you've got a flock of sheep, it's crazy as it sounds. You know that each one looks different than the other one. Maybe it's the way they bleat, their bah, or whatever it is they do. Each one is different. But for people who never pay any attention to sheep, they all look the same to us. But a shepherd knows the difference. And so when that shepherd is out there looking for his lost sheep, it's a very precise, particular one. If a stranger shows up, they're not going to follow him. And that's good. Because Jesus tells us that strangers are associated with being thieves and robbers. They don't have the welfare of the sheep in mind. They're only concerned about themselves. Now, in John 10, the sheep pen could initially include everyone in Jerusalem. It could. But not everyone in Jerusalem belongs to Jesus' flock. Let's understand that. Look at verses 7 through 10, John 10. Let's read those three or four verses again, beginning in 10.7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, come only, thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, in first century Israel, it was quite common out in the countryside for sheep to spend the night in what I call, and we've got a picture of this, for sheep to spend the night out here in uh, this confined area in the middle of nowhere that's made of flat rocks that are piled one upon the other. You can see that? And so all the sheep would gather in there, but there's this empty space here on the front where there's no rocks. It's three, four, five, six feet. That's how the sheep would get in and get out. And at night, the shepherd would lay in that spot so that no sheep would get in 
or get out. It was also common, but I couldn't find a picture of it, that in first century Israel, when the shepherds would work together to build these sheep pens, it was quite common that they would put plants with thorns on the top of the rocks to prevent wolves and such from jumping over the rocks and getting in there with the sheep. But at night, the shepherd would lay, physically lay right there on the ground, and he would become the gate so that nobody goes in and nobody goes out. All the false, false prophets who have ever lived did not bear witness to Jesus and the truth, but rather they represented, and we're talking about the Pharisees, they represented the thieves and the robbers, and instead of bringing blessings, they robbed the people of blessings. Now look at verse 9, where Jesus said, I am the gate, or your translation says the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now there's a question, it's a common question in our culture today. Do all roads lead to heaven? In other words, can I believe what I want and worship any way I want and worship anything I want and am I still going to get to heaven? Well, Jesus said, it seems to me it's pretty clear here, that whoever enters through me will be saved. But what about all those other religions? What about... What about the Buddhists and the Muslims and the Hindus? What about them? They, I mean, they live right next door to me. The nicest neighbors you'd ever want. In fact, they're a lot nicer than the neighbors I used to have who professed to be Christians. Or what about at work, the co-workers? Are you telling me, are you telling me that they're not going to get to heaven because they don't believe in Jesus? Is that, what you, is that what you're really suggesting? Or as some people ask, and I've heard this question, well, don't Christians and Muslims, don't, don't we really worship the same God? We just call him by different names? Well, let me see if I can answer that. No, we do not all worship the same God. And no, Allah and God are not the same God. And no, everyone is not going to heaven. Everyone is not going to heaven. Here's another interesting thing. I use that word a lot. Here's the interesting thing. Whenever you see... uh, or hear some crazy story. I mean, it could be a sad story on television or watching a movie. Everybody that dies goes to heaven because they're always looking down. Oh, I hope my mom's not watching now, you know, and they just... Every, every, I've never heard ever, ever, never, ever, never, even one time anybody in a movie that I've gone to where they died and people thought they went to hell. It's for some reason. 
This crazy culture we live in, they think everybody's going to heaven. Although, you know, one of the cleanest and clearest and crispest uh, parables that Jesus told us about the narrow and wide road. And it's the wide road that leads to hell. And the only reason you build the wide road is because there's a lot of traffic. And you can get by with a narrow road. And I can tell you all kinds of stories about places I've been where there's a narrow road. Well, the only reason it's narrow, there's not very many people traveling in it. The Pew Research Group, some of us have never heard of this. It's a think tank in Washington, D.C. that started 15 years ago. And it's a bunch of people who are supposedly experts. Well, I don't even know what that means anymore. Um, experts. And they, they take surveys and they track what people believe and what they don't believe and uh, all kinds of trends within our culture, and then they come out with statistics that the rest of us can use. Now, in a recent survey, are you sitting down? Yes. Just stay seated. I don't want you to stand up until you process this. In a recent survey, they took a survey of evangelical Christians. Okay? They didn't go out here on Marion Road and ask the first hundred people that drove by. No. They took a survey of evangelical Christians. This is the world we now live in. We live in a new world started two weeks ago with the coronavirus, but this is another piece to the world we now live in. They surveyed evangelical Christians, and they discovered that 58% That's more than half. When I went to school, that used to be more than half. Is that still more than half? 58% of evangelical Christians in America now believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. That's the world we live in. Fifty-eight percent... So let's imagine we had 100 people here this morning. And I'm not suggesting that Cross Point is a reflection of it. I mean, this is across the country. You have 100 people in an evangelical church on Sunday morning who all profess to be Christians. 58 out of the 100 believe that you can get to heaven without faith in Jesus. That's the world we live in. Even though Jesus said very clearly in John 10, verse 7, I am the gate. He didn't say, I'm one of the gates. This isn't like Frank's store over there, Walmart, where you got 10 doors you can come in and 26 aisles you can check out with. There's one gate. Jesus said in John 10, verse 7, I am the gate. Does anybody have a Bible translation? And I know we've got at least eight or 10 different ones where it says, I'm one of the gates. I hope not. He says the same thing in verse 7. He says the same thing in verse 9. I am the gate. And Jesus said the same thing in John 14. Verse 6, I am the way. There's a very definite article there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, you know what the liberal media out there says? They say we've got to be more tolerant. Steve. I mean, I've got extended family members who have told my kids, your dad needs to be more tolerant of what's going on in the world. We don't need to be more tolerant. You know what we need to be? We need need to be more honest and more caring for people who are on their way to hell. If there is a way to get to heaven, 
without faith in Jesus, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. Right? If there's a way to get to heaven without putting faith in Jesus, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. And if Jesus didn't die on the cross and pay the price for my sin, then I've got problems. Because I've got to figure out how I'm going to get to heaven if I can't get there through faith in Jesus. The liberal media will say, Steve, you need to be, you were way too intolerant. You're hateful. You're hateful, Steve, when you tell Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and, and all my next-door neighbors and co-workers that they're on the way to hell. But what, we are, what we're telling them is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. It's a message to show that we care about them. To say nothing is hateful. Tell them about Jesus is loving. We are all sheep. Sioux Falls, the empire area here, United States, the world. We're one sheep in need of a shepherd, and Jesus is that shepherd. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but Jesus is the only gate. He's the only way to get there. Let's close in prayer. We're going to take a five-minute break. We're going to invite the Spanish congregation to come and worship with us. And if you haven't had a chance yet to put your offering in the the plates, they're right back by each door. If you want to give a gift, a benevolent gift to help um, Lorena and Javier, just make the check to Crosspoint and write benevolent fund in the memo line, and we'll make sure they get that. And then in five minutes, we're going to meet back in here with some more questions. Lord Jesus... I thank you that those of us here today at Crosspoint have heard the message. We've heard the gospel. We believe in Jesus from the bottom of our heart. At least we hope that we all believe in Jesus. I hope that we all believe. And God, if there's somebody here who has not yet professed faith in Jesus, I just ask that you touch their heart, that help them to fall in love with you. If they have questions about their faith or their lack of faith, help them to reach out to somebody who can answer those questions. Help us to live in a world where I would be the first to admit that there are too many times Christians have been intolerant of the people who live around us. And we have pointed fingers and we have blamed at them when, in all honesty, we should be loving and caring and kind. We should be as loving and caring and kind and gracious to our next-door neighbors no matter where they're from as anyone in the community. We should be known as people who love and care for the people who live and work next to us, no matter what they have their faith in. And Lord, we just pray that all that reaching out and all that prayer and all that befriending people who don't know Jesus, that it eventually would bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. So we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me close with this blessing, and then let's take a five-minute break.